So I got a new phone and Sunday was the first time I recorded anything with it for our service. The new phone's a little better than the old phone. So it, it picks up things so well when the air conditioner kicks on and off, it picks that up. So if you happen to be online and you're listening and you hear some background noise, it's not me, it's the air conditioner. And in a minute it'll kick off and you'll go, oh wow, that's great. But it just, it picks up everything. So I'm kind of happy about that. Um, I don't know if any of you have tried to listen to any of that online, but we, we're gonna, what we're gonna try to do, what we're gonna attempt to do is Sunday morning, I'm gonna try to get it loaded up Sunday night or Monday. And Wednesday night, I'm, I'm not gonna get it loaded Wednesday night, I just know. By the time I get home, it's not gonna happen. But I'll try to get it loaded by Thursday uh, for anybody that misses something or wants to go back and, and listen to some part of it. But that's gonna be the goal, that's gonna be the attempt. What I would like to do on Thursday is upload Wednesday night's message and update the prayer list. That's a goal I have, <laughs> okay? You know how those work? Like you've got a good intention of doing this and it doesn't always work out that way. But that is my intention. I don't mind if you remind me of that, okay? I really don't. Uh, just like tomorrow, my, my Thursday is gonna just, it's gonna fly. I got all kind of stuff going on. Yes, you just, one day I'm gonna have someone I just turn that over to, you know, and just let them handle that part of it and, and just go with it. Now, we started last week, Revelation 20. I read verses one through six and we did one through four. That's where we made it because I got it in my notes that we stopped right there. Actually, I'm not even sure, we didn't even do all of verse four, did we? Uh, just looking at my notes, we kind of got about to verse four. So what I want to do tonight is I want to read one through 10 and just read the whole thing, one through 10. And then if everything goes well, we don't run completely out of time, that's what I'll talk about tonight. And then the goal would be next week to finish um, chapter 20. This is such a good chapter. It has so much in it. We just, we don't want to leave. We don't want to rush our way through it. So let me just read 1 through 10 so that we have the, the big picture of what's going on. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil, and Satan, and he bound him a thousand years. And he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would, he would know uh, that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. And after these things, he must be released for a short time. Then I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God and those who had not worshiped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. When the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for war. And the number of them is like the sand of the seashore. And they came up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, and fire came down from heaven and devoured them. 
And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Let's pause briefly and pray. Father in heaven, again, we thank you for your word. And we pray that as we consider this tonight, that you would be our teacher by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's just jump to verse 4 because we've already talked a lot about Satan being bound for a thousand years. We talked a little bit about the millennial reign. But when we come to verse 4, we find out that the saints come to life and that they reign with Christ for a thousand years. This is why I said last week that, you know, that's the, that's the part I want to be in on. You know, that's why I, I believe we live in the most blessed time in all of human history. We could have lived in, you know, before the cross. Now, I guess you could say Adam and Eve had it perfect, right? But after that, from there until the cross, that's kind of a, a large time. And then you've got the cross till now. And then at some point you've got the tribulation, whenever that actually starts. And then you've got the millennial reign of Christ on earth for a thousand years. But the people that live between the cross and the end of the world as we know it now, those saints come to life again in the thousand years and they reign with Christ there. So it's the people that are blessed now who know Christ, those saints who are going to be resurrected and live with him for a thousand years. That's, that's why I say it's, this is the best time in the world. You live in grace now and you get that later. Yes. <clears throat> yeah, that's, that's a good question. And I, I believe the answer is no. And the reason I think it's no, they're on that end. The students are on that end. I know that's who Kevin's looking for. Um, the word beheaded that's translated here, beheaded, it's really um, executed. Okay, But I don't believe that they're trying to... Kevin, you know where they are. They're at the gym. There you go. Um I, they're not trying, I don't believe the scripture is trying to leave anybody out and saying only those that are executed. I think it's written this way to be an encouragement to those who are persecuted. That, that's what I believe. So, uh, Michelle, we're in Revelation chapter 20. That's what we're reading tonight. And, um, but again, they, they come to life and they live and they reign with Christ for a thousand years. And the second part of this is that John writes, I saw thrones and they that sat on them and judgment was committed to them. So this is the only way I really know to explain it. The saints are resurrected. They live in that millennial reign and they are the ones who sit on these thrones and judgment was committed to them. In other words, there's an administration of the reign of Christ on earth and, and his church helps make that happen. Now, I wish I had more details for that. You know, but instead what this scripture says is their thrones, they sat on those thrones and judgment was given to them. It just means that when when I look at you, I just know that's who you're going to be. I know that's where you're going. I know that's what you're going to do. You're going to have a part in 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 the administration of the reign of Christ on the earth for a thousand years. Now, you know, I guess some of us could be sitting here going, I'm not so sure about that. <laughs> All I can tell you is Jesus must be, you know, he must have something because he's got this plan for you and you're going to be part of that. And it just changes the way. And I'll, I'll make this point at the end. It just changes the way you think about your life now, because the things you're going through now, they're just preparation for what you're going to do then. 
You know, this is just get ready. This, this is on-the-job training. This is that part of it for what you're going to do when you get there. But again, they came to life. They reigned with him. They sat on those thrones. There are those who were beheaded, but that's not to leave the rest of us out. It's just to really be an encouragement to them. Uh, other places you can look to understand this about the ruling and reigning of Christ. Back in Revelation 4, the thrones were around the throne. Okay, and, and we said the 24 elders were there, and we said the 24 elders represent the people of God. Okay, so that, that's one place you can look. Matthew 19, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, those are other good passages you can look to and just read about how the saints are going to be involved in reigning as a whole. And with judgment being committed to them, again, the saints are going to have some I just refer to it as an administrative role. You're going to have some part of ruling and reigning with Christ. You, Christ is Lord of all, but he has a part for you to play in his kingdom. So they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. In that thousand years that we're talking about, the devil has no influence in the world. That's pretty amazing. The world will be composed of the glorified, resurrected Jesus who leads it all, the resurrected saints who are there working with him under his leadership, people that survived the tribulation who are still fallen people just like you and I, but no devil and no demonic influence in the world anywhere. It's hard to, believe. It's hard to imagine, isn't it? Because I get what it's like to be a fallen man. I get that. What I don't get is living in a world with no devil, no no evil influence from outside, okay? That, that's the part I don't get. I, I can't imagine what that would be like. So the millennial reign of Christ, as spectacular as it will be with Christ and resurrected saints and all of that, when you put in just you know, people like us that survived the tribulation and are living through that, it's a thousand years. They have descendants. I mean, it's just it's pretty spectacular. This is one of the reasons C.S. Lewis and... Um, J.R.R. Tolkien wrote their fiction the way they did because those men, you know, they, they used their imagination based on the teachings of Scripture to try to understand what the world might be like with such a collection of different kinds of beings, you know. And, and when you, if you've ever read any of their books, you can kind of see that. And they're doing it in a fantasy way, but they're, they, they created these worlds with different people, different kinds of creatures all together under one thing. And that, that came out of Christian doctrine like we're reading about here tonight. It's just fascinating when you think about it. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Uh, Matthew 19. Matthew 19. Good places to read where you'll find out more about that. Those who had been beheaded, we were thinking about those for a moment, and it says those who had not worshipped the beast and not received his mark. Again, I'm going to say the same thing, John. It's not to say that those are the only ones, but it's to be an encouragement to them, but not to leave out any of the saints. Because the other teachings of Scripture you know, explain that all of us will be there, not just the ones who lived through the tribulation time itself. Now, verse 5 and verse 6, the first resurrection. The Scripture says the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. Okay, This is the first resurrection. I grew up hearing a, a different kind of teaching. You know, I was just taught different things in the church that, that was my home church. But when you read Revelation, there are two resurrections and one judgment. 
I mean, that's just, if you just read it, that's what it says. There are two resurrections and one judgment. And the two resurrections are separated by a thousand years. So you got the first resurrection, which will be all the saints that have ever been saints. And then you got a thousand years, that length of time that Christ reigns on the earth. And then all the other people that did not, that weren't resurrected at the beginning, they get resurrected in the, in the, at the end, the second resurrection. So two resurrections, one judgment. That's, that's how Revelation puts it. Now, the first resurrection, it's a resurrection of blessing because the scripture says blessed and holy are those who are part of the first resurrection. It's a resurrection of power because over, over them, the second death has no power. So there's a first death and a second death. Kind of scary, right? First death is just what we think of, you know, like if my body expires today, that's the first death. But I will be resurrected, and there is no second death for me. None, okay? So it's a resurrection of power. And then it's a resurrection of privilege because they are priests of God. They do rule and reign with Christ. I mean, it's fantastic what the Scripture teaches us. And again, the rest of the dead... They don't have that blessing, they don't have that power, and they don't have that kind of privilege. None of them. They don't have any of those things. Now, let me give you another text. It's in John chapter 5, and I'll give you the actual verses, 28 and 29. This is what Jesus says. He said, Do not marvel, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Talking about the resurrection. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. So two resurrections. Now what Jesus doesn't tell us there in John 5 is that those two resurrections are separated by a thousand years. He doesn't tell us that. But, but Jesus himself taught it. There's going to be two of these. First resurrection for those that have done good. Now it doesn't mean you did good in the sense that you earned your way there. Because what's the only good about us that's truly good? It's Jesus, right? He's the only good. I mean, I don't have any good on my own that has any standing with God. The only good that I have is Jesus Christ. And I trust completely and wholly in him. That's my only hope. It's my only righteousness. But that's what gets me into the first resurrection. Second resurrection is a resurrection, but it's only for condemnation. It, it's, it's a resurrection in the sense that everybody has to stand before God. Nobody gets left out. You know, it, it doesn't matter if people believe in God or not. It doesn't matter if they acknowledge God or not. What the scripture does is just present everybody's going to be there. doesn't matter if you believe in it or not. We all have to be there. Believers, unbelievers, everyone gives an account. The angels have to be there. The demons have to be there. Everyone's going to be there. Nobody gets left out. So the first resurrection as a singular event happens at one time for everybody. Uh, that tells us, to me, that we go through as saints, if you're alive when the tribulation happens, we go through that. And the resurrection happens at the end of the tribulation, and that's when the thousand-year reign of Christ begins. Now, when I grew up, I was taught that there's going to be um, a, you know, a, a secret rapture of the church, and all the Christians go up to heaven at the beginning, and that sets the clock for a seven-year um, tribulation and then there's a resurrection at the end of the tribulation too um, that's what I was taught and, and there were reasons for that it's just that the way I teach it now and the way I talk about it now is you know when I read revelation I just don't see it that way what I see is the saints that are here on earth they suffer in that tribulation time 
Not in the same way as unbelievers, but they, they are here. And there's just one resurrection. That's at the beginning of the thousand years. And then there's the second resurrection. And at that point, there's only one judgment at the very end. That's the way I, I read it. And that's the way I understand the scripture. Now, verse 7 and verse 8. That takes us into the final battle, if you can call it a battle. Not, it doesn't seem to be a battle. But notice that the devil is released, okay? And this is the part that throws a lot of people. When the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and go out to deceive the nations. And so the first question people are asking is, why? <laughs> you know, why, why does the devil get released? He, he's been thrown away and not had any influence for a thousand years. Why does he get to be released? Why, why? I mean, God's in control of all things. Why is that? It's a good question, right? We prefer he just stay gone, <laughs> but that's not what the scripture teaches. And let me give you the best answer that I can give to that. And I, I know it may not be the whole answer, but this is the best answer I can give to that. Everyone wants to blame someone else for their sin. You know? Everyone wants to blame, you know, I grew up in a bad environment. My mother didn't love me, you know, my dad treated me bad, or life was unfair to me, you know, just all these things. Everyone wants to blame something outside of them. In the thousand-year reign of Christ, there is no evil influence in the world. The, the excuse of environment is absolutely taken away. If the devil is set loose after a thousand years and people, fallen people, once again give right in to it, it's not because they grew up in a bad environment. Okay? The problem is not out there. The problem's in here. And so if that underscores or teaches us anything, it's that we were made to relate to God. We were made for our maker. And apart from that, outside of that, we always fail. We always fail. There, there's no other way that you and I can be what we're supposed to be outside of a relationship with our God. We were made for God. We were made to serve God. We were made to love God. Everything about us is connected to our God. And when we try to do it on our own, we will always fail. And I think that that thousand-year reign of Christ, when the world is without any kind of evil influence, as soon as the devil has an opportunity, many people go right back to it. Yes, sir? Uh, it doesn't mention anywhere how long the devil has to uh, collect his army. Yeah, it doesn't. And that's part of like the, the way I read in the Old Testament, too, that when the Old Testament prophets are speaking about the future, sometimes in one verse they'll cover hundreds or even thousands of years. Yeah, and how long is that, right? Well, a minute is how long God exactly. So when we read this, we know we know the fact is he'll be set loose. He will go out to deceive the nations. He will be successful to some degree, and that leads to the big final battle. That's not really a battle, but but as far as how to measure that in days, weeks, months, or years, we're not told that. And because this is the lens of prophecy. I mean, it could be a long period of time. We just don't know. We just don't know. I think the same way about the Garden of Eden scene. You know, when you read that, the devil's there. He appears, and it looks like he got Adam and Eve on the first try. Tempted them one time, got them. That's what it looks like. You know, was there more time involved? I don't know. That's just what we're given in the Scripture. 
And so here you're looking forward, thinking about a future event and how much time is involved. We've, we've been born into time. We know nothing else but time. And yet we're reading through prophecy where time is really not that big of a factor. So we're being told the truth without being given a timeline. And it's just, just part of it for us. So there's a demonstration here of the rebellion of people without a bad environment. It's just in the hearts of people. That's why people need to be saved. So who are the rebels going to be? Who are these people that give in? I can't believe it's going to be the resurrected saints. I can believe it'll be the fallen people and their descendants that have multiplied in the earth for a thousand years. I can absolutely believe that. Uh, I don't have a better answer for you than that, but that's who I believe they'll be. When it mentions Gog and Magog, uh, that comes out of Ezekiel 38 and 39. And if you go back and read that, you'll see that um, it's a description of the enemies of God. And it's a description of kind of a final battle. So you don't have to identify that with a certain people group or a nation or anything like that. Just understand it as, as uh, Ezekiel 38 and 39, the, the enemies of God. Now, verse 9 and 10 describes the battle. And it's really not much of a battle. Okay, so if you look at 9 and 10 again, they go up on the earth. They surround the camp of the saints. And just fire comes down out of heaven and devours them. So that, that's the whole thing. I mean, God puts an end to this, this evil. That's what he does. Do what? It sounds instantaneous. It does. And then I want you to see the trinity that's there. The devil who deceived them is cast into the lake of fire where the beast, remember the beast, and the false prophet already are. There's your trinity. And we've looked at this in Revelation multiple times. The, the devil is always trying to mimic God. And God has been revealed to us as a trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And in Revelation, you see these, this trinity of evil. It shows up over and over again. And here at the end, the whole trinity of evil is cast into the lake of fire. Now, when people talk about hell today, I think that's what most people are thinking about. They're thinking about this idea of a lake of fire. That's what they're thinking about. The Bible speaks of Sheol, which is the place of the grave. It speaks of Hades, which is, you know, just a, a different word for it. Um, Guyana is another word, Greek word for basically Sheol and Hades. But then in Revelation, you've got this lake of fire. And, and, and what's said about the lake of fire here is they will be tormented there day and night forever and ever. There's a theology out there called annihilationism. And it basically is... The second death, they interpret the second death as you cease to exist. All right, This verse like we just read here, to me that just does away with annihilationism. You can't cease to exist and be tormented day and night forever and ever. So human beings, mankind, we are living souls. Our bodies may expire, but we never cease to exist. If you're a believer, you never cease to exist. If you're an unbeliever, you never cease to exist. Every single soul will live forever in either the love of God or the wrath of God. That's how it settles out. Everybody, I mean, it's, the world's built that way. This, you know, we talked about this one time. The world is a binary. You know, it's day and it's night. That's what it is. You, you can try to call it something else. You can give it another name. You can pretend, but it's still day and night. It's just two things. 
And, and in the end, for all people, you're either in the love of God or you're in the wrath of God. There's no third place. There's no third way. There's no holding tank. There's no, these are people in the middle who did a little of both. <laughs> you're one side or the other. And, and if you're not a believer, you wind up in that place that was made for the devil, for the beast, for the false prophet, all that represents evil. It's all there. And that's where people go who reject Jesus Christ. And they never cease to exist. That's their future. That's their forever. Yes. Well, they would cease to exist on the face of the earth. That's true. But annihilationism, and, and one of my favorite theologians is a guy named John Stott from um, England. And, and later in his life, he came to teach annihilationism. And that's really the only thing big that I've ever disagreed with him on. And uh, he, he had his reasons for coming to that. But, you know, this verse, I just, it's verses like this. I mean, how can you be tormented day and night forever and ever if you cease to exist, you know? Now, that changes things for us because it puts a kind of motivation in our minds about what we're doing. Every person you see is going to live forever, every last one. And if you know that their eternity can either be in the love of God or the wrath of God, it has to give you some concern for them, especially if you know they don't believe. It gives you a motivation to pray. It gives you a motivation to invite them you know, to a church service. It gives you a motivation to try to live your life in front of them in such a way as, you know, they would look to Christ. That's what it does. Again, if it's forever and ever, is it really eternal punishment? And my answer to that has to be yes. So I wrote three things down. I just want to share these with you uh, before we kind of finish this up. I got about 10 minutes before the students will be in here. But, but the first one is something I mentioned earlier. All that you go through now prepares you for then. And I just want to underscore that, and I just want to help you, you know, put that in your mind. Because everything you're going through now, everything good that's ever happened to you, everything good that ever will happen to you, everything bad that's ever happened to you, everything bad that God's ever going to allow into your life, they all shape you and prepare you for what you're going to do later. It's a little bit scary, huh? But it does change the way you look at your circumstances. I want you to understand that the people in your life that torment you, all right, God allowed that to happen. It wasn't like God woke up one day and said, uh-oh, they got a little too close to them. Move away. It wasn't an accident. If God allowed this person to, to give you a hard time, whatever it is, just... Just understand that you've never been outside of God's love. You've never been outside of his care. He didn't just, it wasn't an oversight on his part, but he's going to take even that bad thing you went through, even that pain you went through, and he's going to bring some good about it in this world and especially in eternity. When you rule and reign with Christ and when you live with him forever and ever and you do the things he has for you in eternity, Somehow, the things you've suffered in this life translate into what you're going to do there. Yes, sir. With like what he did with Job. Yeah, yeah. I, it, what it does, I mean, it just helps you. Like if you're going through a hard time, it helps you wake up the next morning and just know it's going to be all right. It's going to be okay. And and if and if you're going through it, I mean, think about it. I mean, all of us at some point. We'll probably go through something much worse than we've ever gone through before. I know we like to look back and go, that's the worst it'll ever be, right? We'd like to think we're done with it. 
but there'll probably be something worse in our future. But it won't be an accident and it won't be a surprise to God. And it won't be something where he'll leave us alone. He doesn't abandon us. And, and even in that, if, when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even in that, he prepares us for what he has for us in eternity. Because I've said this before, and I just believe it to the core of my being. Even death is nothing but an usher to hold open the door while you walk into the kingdom of heaven. And the devil being let loose after a thousand years, even the devil serves the purpose of God in some way. Or he wouldn't have been allowed to do that. And so we may not be able to understand why he's restrained and then let loose. But the answer is going to be God has a purpose in it. We don't understand all of it, but God has a purpose in it, in allowing that evil to continue. There's something God is doing. And, and maybe on the under, other side, we understand that better. But I know what the New Testament teaches. It teaches that it's going to take forever for God to explain how much he loves us. Now, you, you think about this. You've probably got a handful of people in your life that you really love. Like you really love them. And I know like you would say, well, Pastor, I love you. I know you, you love me. But there's some people in your life you really love. Like you die for them. You know, these are the people that you really love. Okay. You never get tired of communicating that you love them. Am I right? You never run out. Like you may just tell them till they get sick of hearing it, you know, but you, you never stop. You, there's no end to it. And that's what the New Testament teaches. It's going to take God forever to explain and show us how much he loves us forever because he loves us. So we start there. You, you say, well, I'm going through something awful or I've been through something awful. Look, if God allowed it, God allowed it. I can't tell you that I understand it, but he loves you and he loves you more than, than you'll ever really be able to understand. Here's the second one. Uh, look at your family, your faith family, as uh, just, just call them future Call them future leaders. Call them future rulers. Call them, you know, future, I don't know, just rulers, leaders. I don't know what the best word for it is, but your faith family, these are special people. They're going to be part of leading the world under the administration of Christ. That, that's what this Bible passage is teaching us. And that's pretty spectacular. C.S. Lewis said if we could see now what our friends are going to be when they get to heaven, we'd probably be tempted to fall down and worship them as a god. You are a spectacular being. We just don't see all of it yet. And I know you get glimpses sometimes of some people. You, you get to see the image of Christ in a person and, and it just blows you away. You know, it just does. You know, you wish you could see that in everybody and you don't, but you see it in some people and, and it just, it captivates you and it's not them. It's the image of Christ in them. It's his love. It's his gifts. It's, it's, it's him shining through them. And when you see that, I mean, you're drawn to Christ, you know, and if you could really see what your faith family, what they really are, you probably would be like C.S. Lewis. You'd be tempted to fall down and worship them, but it's Christ in them. That's what you see. And then here's the third one. <laughs> this is the way I wrote it down. Final is final. Final is final. Because there's two things that, that are given to us in this passage. One is death, and one is, is the final resurrection. 
So you got the resurrection. The first death has, uh, has happened. The second death has no power over them. And then later in this chapter, you've got the second resurrection, the final judgment, all of that. So final is final. What it means is every person has an opportunity in this life to believe. But when you take your last breath in this life, there's no do-over. You know, there's, there's no mulligan. You don't get resurrected later and they go, now what do you think about Jesus? Doesn't work that way. Final is final. The resurrection happens, but when the resurrection happens, it's not so you can decide if you believe in Jesus. The first resurrection happens because you did believe in Jesus. The second resurrection happens because they didn't believe in Jesus. Nobody gets to decide later. It's only decided in this life. So final is final. I don't know if that excites you or scares you, you know, but final is final. I mean, that's it. And so it's part of that motivation. You know, it's, it's the reason you pray for people. It's the reason you invite them to church. It's the reason you talk to them about Jesus. It's the reason you try to live your life best you can in front of them. It's all of that because you know for them, it's just like for you. Final's final. You got so many days and then it's over. Me, and I just, I'll end with this. I'm going to run out of time. My wife reminded me of something. She said something that reminded me the other day. My grandfather was 78 years old when he came to faith in Jesus. Can you believe that? 78 years old. And I was there. You know, his brother had died and he was just having a hard time. And I went over and I sat down and talked to him. He started asking me about God. And the afternoon ended with my grandfather praying to Christ for the first time in his life. 78 years old. My dad died at 68. I sat on his porch, I don't know how many times, just talking to him, you know. We talk about God and all kind of things, but to my knowledge, he never believed. But for both those men, final's final. You either believe or you don't. Now, if I get to heaven and my dad's there, because he believed at the last minute somehow, it'll be one of the greatest surprises I've ever experienced, you know, because I just think about all those times sitting on the porch, you know, when he basically would say, I like what you do and I think it's good, son, but it's not for me. I mean, that's, that was my dad. But my grandfather was just different, you know. At the end of his life, he was like, I need all the help I can get, and I'm ready. And I don't have any doubt that he'll be there. But I, I don't, if my dad's there, I'll be shocked. And all that comes down to, final is final. You only get this chance to do it and to get it right with Christ. So we pray, we love people, we talk to people, we invite people. That's what we do. All right, let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for blessing us. God, we, we, we read in this chapter about eternal things and eternal punishment and eternal reigning and all of that. And we just know that we only have now to make those decisions. And so, God, I thank you for the people in this room. Thank you for the decisions they've made. And I pray, Lord, you help us to just point other people in your direction because it, it's always going to be the tr truth for every person we ever meet. God, thank you for everyone here today. Bless them. Bless their families. In Jesus' name, amen.